Morning, everyone. Yes, if the, if the kids haven't already run away, now's, now's the chance. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it's When we walked in this morning, there were people thanking us for making the trek. I'm reminded of, it's nearly, well, let's see, 2013, so eight years ago, the first Sunday of December, uh, we were pastoring Penn Valley just up the road, and that was the day, the reason I remember it is the California Marathon, where they run from Folsom down to the Capitol. It was raining a lot like this, and so the road that we normally travel was was closed, and then when we got from Auburn to uh, Grass Valley, a large bull pine had fallen across 49, so we had to go seven miles through little side roads. And, and then when we got to Penn Valley, the church there is on the other side of the river, and we'd, we, we, had, we, we owned an SUV, but we drove the little car. And the river was over the bridge, and uh, so I watched another little car in front of us. I said, if it can make it, we're going through. If not, I'll walk through the river. And uh, we made it to church eight minutes before start time. Uh, we drove, lamenting the fact that why do we have an SUV that <laughs> sitting at home in a garage? But uh, it's what you get with the O'Connells. It's just what you get. Um, I feel a need to say something since a prayer said something uh, about a point of transition. And I hadn't planned to say this today. Um, but yes, there will be a transition at some point here in the near future. And Pastor Chris and Bibi will assume the lead pastor roles from us. I wasn't going to announce that today, I, I promise you, but when it's prayed out, I kind of need to address that. Um, I'm Every church needs local leadership. And I've known that since day one. And so last spring when we were able to reassemble a council, I thought, Okay, we're, we're building a leadership core. And then when we had dinner with Chris and Bibi and said, we're looking for campus pastors, and I was expecting them to take four to six months to pray because that's what people do when they want to say no. <laughs> that's funny right there. And uh, before we'd even walk through the fountains out to the center fireplace area, they had an answer because God had spoken to them two years before that. And so I share that, and, and I'm not going to share specifics because they're not completely determined yet with our organizational leadership or with our council. Um, but yes, that's going to happen at some point. Yes, they're going to assume leadership. Yes, we'll remain in a role, a uh, mentor role for some time. So it's all good, so don't let that bother you. But with that in mind, that even makes today's teaching make more sense. It's entitled, David the Waiting King. 
Chris the waiting pastor. <laughs> BB the waiting pastorette. <laughs> I will tell you, today's teaching has been, and, and next week's is done. It's been very hard for me because it's a topic that pastors don't want to speak on. There's two topics that pastors don't want to preach on. You know what they are? Tithing and submission to authority. Because it sounds like we're saying, you need to submit to me. And I think after two years, you know my leadership style, that I'm not domineering or demanding in any way that way. But as I was preparing this and reviewing this and recognizing that I'm approaching another transition season in my life and in our lives, you wonder if your responses in your life have enhanced your effectiveness or hurt you. So I, I, I speak today with a little bit of um, melancholy. But I also speak today with a sense of most of you are younger than me. And most of you are still in positions where you can address this in your life and impact your trajectory. By the way, this is all non-notes because of Dan's prayer. <laughs> so let's talk about it. 1 Samuel 15 says, The Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Well, you say... Why would he be crying? He could see what was going on. Well, who anointed Saul? Samuel did. It's, it's no fun to, to see the one that God told you to anoint. And please understand, there's, there's two kinds of anointing here. One is a positional acknowledgement. You are now king. But the more important anointing is the one from the Holy Spirit. In Saul's case, hear me, he had lost the Holy Spirit anointing. The scripture tells us more than one place that the Spirit of God had withdrawn from him. But he was still positionally the king. Does that make sense? So that's 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 16, the Lord said to Samuel, You've mourned long enough. I have rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. You know the story. Seven of them appeared. None, none, none. And Samuel says, surely this one, he's good looking. Surely this one, he's got a PhD. Surely this one, surely this one. Dad, do you have any others? Oh, yeah, there's the boy. That's another teaching. Get the tape. 
So verse 13, it says, David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with oil. That's a positional acknowledgement that is happening because this is happening in front of people. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. In other words, the Spirit that enabled him to become what he was going to become and fulfill the duties that he was going to fulfill came on him that day. But positionally, he was not announced as king that day. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember when I was young, me and Susie had so much fun, who Susie is uh, but that, that's a play on a song sorry but but I remember being very very ambitious and the waiting game was hard when you feel that you have the strength the energy and you sense that you have the anointing it's like get out of my way So would you all agree there was a delay between the anointing by Samuel and God's formal appointment of David and the removal of Saul? During the delay, he's, he's, David's anointed as the king-in-waiting. He is confronted with the issue of Saul's unrighteous authority in the worst ways. I hope that Chris doesn't look at us remaining in this role in this season as, I sure wish he'd get out of the way. Because I trust that we're not, and I hope and I pray that we're not operating in unrighteous authority as Saul did. But the thought has crossed my mind this week because I don't want to get in the way. So what is... What does David do in this season? Well, well, first he serves as Saul's armor bearer. Basically, he is his personal servant. That's in 1 Samuel 16, about verse 14. Look at this. Look at this. Let me read this verse to you. The Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. The Lord sent that. Think about that. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war, has good judgment. He's fine looking and the Lord's with him. So Saul said, send messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son, the shepherd. That's David. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. Then, then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Please let David remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play his harp, and Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. Why? Not because he's a harp player, because he's anointed. What is, what is 
David put up with? I'm going to list some things very quickly. And if you're freaking out about where's this in the notes, it's all an ad yesterday morning, so it's not there. He, he dealt with jealousy. In 1 Samuel 18, we see that whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. Saul made him commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officer. But listen to what happened. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and with cymbals. This was their song. David has killed his thousands. That's verse 1. David has killed his thousands. No, not really. Saul did that. David has killed his ten thousands. I'm sure when Saul first heard that, he thought, oh, they got the verses reversed. No, when they sang it again, Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. Oh, I didn't hear wrong. What did that lead to? Well, verse 8, this made Saul angry. What's this? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next they'll be making him king. You got it. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. David experienced jealousy. I'm going to tell you, sometimes when you're submitted to authority and you have giftings and power and strength in certain areas that the person you're serving doesn't have, there can be jealousy. I jokingly refer to Chris as the energy pastor. But I mean it. I know I'm old, and I know I'm tired, and I'm grateful for an energy pastor. <laughs> Last week, I texted him. I said, do everything. I'm not even sure I can speak. I'm not jealous of that, by the way. I'm grateful for it. David endured rage. The very next day, this is Samuel 18.10, the very next day a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did every day, but Saul had a spear in his hand and he suddenly hurled it at David intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped him twice. Now, I don't understand twice. Like you throw a, a, a javelin at me, I'm not coming back, just, just so you know. I'm not coming back. He experienced deceit, 1 Samuel 18, to 25. Saul told his men to say to David, the king really likes you, and so do we. Why don't you accept the king's offer and become his son-in-law? When Saul, Saul's men said these things to David, he replied, how can a poor man from a humble family afford the bride price for the daughter of a king? When Saul's men reported this back to the king, he told them, Tell David that all I want from the, for the bride price that are to be gross is a, a hundred Philistine foreskins. Vengeance on my enemies is all I want. 
But listen to what the scripture says. But what Saul had in mind was that David would be killed. That's deceit. Do you know that Saul committed conspiracy, 1 Samuel 19? Saul had urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Uh, O king, someone in your leadership team is letting him know our moves. That would be your son. He endured pursuit. Saul chose 3,000 troops from all of Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild. You read from from Samuel 19 to 24, it's constant chase after chase after chase after chase after chase. Read about Doeg the Edomite and what he did in killing the priests. But would you agree with me that to David's credit, he responded righteously to an unrighteous ruler? It was one of his traits that made him truly a great person and qualified him to be entrusted with the role and authority as king. Why? Because he resisted revenge, 1 Samuel 24. Saul went in a cave to relieve himself. King James, he went into the cave to drop his skirt below his knees. As a kid, I read that and didn't know what it meant till the Living Bible came out. But what happened was David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. Listen to what his men said to him. Now's your opportunity. Today the Lord's telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and he cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. That's as far as he could go. And guess what? He felt bad about that. Even though his men were saying and falsely prophesying, God's done this. What did David also do? He honored authority. Look at the next verse, verse 5, 1 Samuel 24. David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut off Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. Do you also realize that David trusted God for justice? 1 Samuel 26, David went into Saul's camp and found him asleep with his spear stuck in the ground beside his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying asleep around him. Abishai was there with him and said, God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't need to strike twice. See, why is he saying let me do it? Because you had your chance and you had a conscience moment. I don't. Let me have it. Just give me the okay. But look at what David says in verse 9. David said, don't kill him, for who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday, or he'll die of old age, or he'll die in battle. The Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed. But take his spear and a jug of water beside his head, and then let's get out of here. In other words, we want him to know that we were here and could have, but didn't take things into our hands. 
what I find very interesting, and you have to go into 2 Samuel to see his response, that he also mourned, not celebrated, Saul's demise. It said, David and his men tore their clothes in sorrow when they heard the news. What was the news? That Saul and Jonathan had been killed and the army of Israel had been routed. They mourned and wept and fasted all day for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the Lord's army and the nation of Israel because they had died by the sword that day. Truth number six about greatness. Great people are exalted by God as they humble themselves under God's direct and his delegated human authority on earth. I'll give you an example. I don't know of any better one than Jesus. The greatest man who ever lived, lived this example. He demonstrated that there were no shortcuts through this process, or was there an exception for it? So briefly this morning, let's talk about biblical truths about authority. Number one, because of man's sin nature, the only alternative to authority is chaos. Isaiah 53, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the sins of us all. Man's nature, our sin nature, if there's not authority, is going to lead to chaos. Look around, friends. Number two, God originated authority. Satan originated rebellion. You see why this, Pastor Appreciation Sunday, you, you plan this, you do something so nice for us, and then your pastor gets up and inspires you with a teaching on authority. Now, I'm going to say something that might bother a few of you, because it bothers me. I don't believe America's formation was wrong, but we were a country that was birthed in rebellion. I don't even know what that means. I'm just going to let you know <laughs> that I understand that. God originated authority. Satan originated rebellion. Romans 13, everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. That's a painful sentence to me. But I do know people get the leadership that they deserve. Another bit, you have authoritative external constraints when you can't maintain internal constraints. Anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. They'll be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but those who are doing wrong. 
Would you like to live without fear of authorities? Do what's right. They'll honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course, you should be afraid for they're the power to punish you. They're God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, but to keep a clear conscience. I hate this verse. I don't, I don't think it belongs in the Bible. Pay your taxes, too, for the same reason. For government workers need to get paid. They're serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Now, I'm going to stop right here because I know some of you are what you're thinking already. You're thinking, when should I submit to authority? And when? Well, I'm going to tell you something. Acts chapter 5 gives the clear line. Because in Acts chapter 5, the apostles were told to go out and never speak the name of Jesus. That was spoken to them by human authority. And they said, it is better for us to obey God rather than man. When any time human authority asks you to do something that is contrary to godly authority, then we obey God's authority. We did the COVID thing twice. The second time we came back, I said, as long as I'm pastor, we're not closing again. Because I could see what was happening, that when the people of God don't get together, when they forsake the assembling of themselves together, you see a falling away. There is never a greater time for God's people to be together than now. Good thing we took the offering already. Second Thessalonians says, For this lawlessness is already at work secretly and it will remain secret, and the one who is holding it backsteps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. The man, this man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power, signs, and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. You see, Satan was the original rebel. And he rebelled against a perfect God in a perfect paradise as a perfect creation. I'll give you two verses for that. Isaiah 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You've been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said yourself, I will ascend to heaven. I will set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of God's far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high God. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to the lowest depths. Everyone will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? Ezekiel 28 paints another picture of this very thing. For you were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. You were there at the beginning, in other words. Your clothing was adorned with precious stone, red carnelian, pale green peridot, and a whole bunch of other stuff that I don't have time to read. They were given to you on the day you were created. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic garden. You had 
guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned, so I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor, so I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. It goes on to say that people will look and say, Is this the one from whom the nations trembled? Number three, rebellion against God's direct or delegated authority is sin with consequences. Rebellion has a consequence. Romans, we read it earlier, everyone must submit to governing authorities. The last part of that, it says, anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. Rebelling against God has consequences. Let me read one of them, Psalms 107. Some sat in darkness and deep gloom, imprisoned in iron chains of misery. Now I'm going to add one verse or one word to the scripture. Okay, here's the word I'm asking. Why? Let me read it again. Some sat in darkness, deepest gloom, imprisoned in iron chains of misery. Why were they doing that? I'm glad you asked, because it's in verse 11 of Psalms 107. They rebelled against the words of God, scorning the counsel of the Most High. That is why he broke them with hard labor, and they fell, and no one was there to help them. That's depressing. I'm going to add two words. They repented. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He led them from the darkest and deepest gloom. He snapped their chains. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. You see why this has been a difficult teaching to prepare? Because this week I've asked myself, were there times that I acted in rebellion that limited my trajectory that I didn't become everything that God wanted me to become because of my own choice. I've had that conversation with myself and with my bride. The good news is, I have repented. And I serve a God that restores and heals and gives me hope and a future. I share this today from my heart to this church family, corporately and individually, regardless of where you have been on this scale of responses to biblical authority. You read these things and it sounds so negative, but if you repent... First Samuel tells us about rebellion's action. I'm going to skip to um, one sentence, verse 23 of First Samuel 15. Rebellion is sinful as witchcraft. 
and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he's rejected you. Rebellion is as witchcraft. What is witchcraft? Well, isn't that the worship of Satan? Who is the father of rebellion? Satan? Verse 24, Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I've sinned. I've disobeyed your instruction and the Lord's command. And then, but then, see, if that, if, if he'd stopped right there, I've done it. I acknowledge it. I won't do it again. But then he says, but I got an excuse. I was afraid of the people. That's justification, not repentance. Witchcraft is when you become your own God through your own abilities and your natural means. And stubbornness is when you worship your own opinion. What is rebellion's cure? Well, it's to submit to God. James 4, he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the adversary and he'll flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. David was a waiting king. He knew that his submission to God's authority, number one, and to God's appointed authority, Saul, would be a blessing on his kingdom and on his life. Now, I'm going to close with this. We're all Americans. <laughs> and, and we all believe we have the right to do what we want and think what we want because that's what we're made of. And I'm not suggesting, please hear me, I'm not suggesting that submission is blind obedience. If you're in a relationship and there's violence, cruelty, submission doesn't say stay in that and get beat up. It doesn't say that. Jesus' parents, when they were the killing of the, the innocents, what did they do? They ran to Egypt. Flight is a biblical response. You work for an evil boss, and they ask you to do something that's illegal or immoral? Run. Run. I'm going to tell you right now, you can come to work for the state of California because we have 3,000 openings in the, the department that I work for that we put out ads and nobody will respond to them. So you can get out of the mess you're in. It hasn't always been that way, but you can. Get, of course, you might be getting into a worse mess, but that's, that's, that's neither here nor there. 
But you get my point. If you were in a church that had spiritual abuse, if it was the only one in town, I could get it. But there's all sorts of brands, you know. You can, you can get different chicken, KFC, Popeyes, Chick-fil-A. You can get different churches. Now, I'm hoping that none of you feel like you're under some kind of dominating spiritual authority. If you are, I don't know where you're getting it because it's certainly not coming from, from us. At least I hope. It's hard to end inspiring on a topic like this. But come back next week. <laughs> and we'll talk about David the waiting king and what happens when we respond properly. God help me. Help us. Help us to search our hearts to submit ourselves, first of all, to you. I confess to you, Lord, so many times my rebellion hasn't been against people, it's been against you. Lord, I repent of that. Lord, you know two years ago when Pastor Rob sent us the text, would you come, and it was a six-page, six-screen text, and I said yes, I was doing that, Lord, because I had learned what it is to submit to your direction. And I sat down and thought about it. Who knows? So thank you, Lord, for teaching me that truth, helping me to apply it in my life, and giving us blessing and grace in your forgiveness. That curses be removed from my family, from our church family, from our ministry opportunities, Lord. Touch your people. Let the truth of what I shared today touch their hearts. Let everything else that I shared that's not of you just fall away. Let it be forgotten before they hit the door. And we'll thank you for it. Amen. If you joined us online today, I'm better some weeks than others. We'd be delighted to see you. <laughs> God bless you all and have a great, great week.